0: hello everybody welcome to the open mic comedy podcast i'm your host mark if this is your first time here welcome if you're a returning listener welcome back this podcast is here for people in the open mic circuit whether you're a comedian an MC, a promoter a tutor in fact anybody who has any involvement in this industry or if you're a comedy fan who really enjoys spending their time in pub basements seeing the possible stars of the future Even better, if you want to join the open mic comedy circuit, you'll hear firsthand how we got into it and what to expect. And this is the podcast for you. Today's guest is a man who's laid it all out there on his YouTube channel. I'm a subscriber, so should you be. Links at the end. He has gone from being a comedian to an MC and promotes his own night near Old Street in London. He's occasionally mistaken for Keanu Reeves, loves a good pun and has an overwhelming love of potato products. It is Richard Parr.
1: You know more about me than I I thought I'd ever told anyone and then (laughs) realised I put it all out there on YouTube.
0: (laughs) I try to do a little bit of research into people's acts and I've seen you a few times, so I know some of the stuff that goes on. How are you?
1: I'm very good. Yeah, very good. As as I said to you before, I've even showered for this podcast and you said to me, it's mostly audio, (laughs) Richard.
0: but I'm good. So I guess with with all guests we start off from the very beginning. So kind of like how long have you been doing this? How did you get into it and what made you get into it?
1: So I was in a Waterstones bookstore and saw a poster for a stand-up comedy course in Brighton. So my my actual background is in TV, sports TV, so I've been a producer, journalist, presenter, reporter. I was on air for a little while on Al Jazeera, English living in Doha, so I was a presenter and reporter for that.
2: Cool. And
1: I was kind of doing my own projects kind of on social media called Sportacino. It didn't really kind of fly off the shelves, and then I was uh, looking to return to the industry more behind the camera, but I always knew I wanted to improve. I always knew it was um, a skill set that I needed to get better at in order to kind of Fulfill my dreams. (laughs) And I was always keen to give stand up comedy a go. And so I saw this course and I signed up for it. And I I was always a very confident person. So this was a a room with kind of 12 different people from all different backgrounds, from gender to race to social backgrounds. And it was kind of 12 people you'd never expect to be put together with apart from in stand up comedy. And it was fantastic. And we we began to do the course and, and each week we'd have to go up for a couple of minutes to test out our, our material and I was so confident that my stuff was brilliant and I was so loud and it was becoming quite real that it wasn't that great but we then did the uh, final kind of uh, graduation show so yep. we all did five minutes and there were, there was a room of about 120 people, but you've got to remember that everyone brought about 10 people. So it was all family and friends. So you were always going to get a laugh because it was such yeah. a sympathetic audience. So I did that and I, I did all right. You know, if I was to rank myself out of the 12 people, I was maybe like fourth or fifth best or got four, four, fifth most laughs. And then I kind of left it there because I took on a job with CNN. It it was a move back up to London. And I just wanted to focus on that. But it was just niggling inside of me to go, if I was to do the same material or similar material in front of a room where nobody knows me, would I get any laughs? So nine months later, beginning of 2019, I decided to do, uh, I went to Lion's Den in uh, Piccadilly Circus in Bar Roomba. And it went. Average, and then I went to the Cavendish Arms in Stockwell for Comedy Virgins, yeah. and I had the worst gig I have ever done. And I absolutely <laughs> wanted the floor to open up beneath me. It was so bad because it was full of material that was a bit crass. It was kind of your locker room, your your football yeah, yeah. team humour, your your humour down the pub, which you think is hilarious, but actually in front of a pretty, I would say left-leaning crowd you get at Stockwell, and and in fact, the London Comedy Circuit is not going to go down well, and it was horrific. But weirdly, I had done a podcast, my own podcast for a while, talking to world and Olympic champions called The Best in the World with Richard Parr, and they gave some fascinating insights in what they do differently to be the best, that 1% change from going from a silver medal to a gold medal. And by doing that, I learned a lot that I could use in my everyday life. And one of the big things they all came back to was failure and how they dealt with failure and how they would learn from failure and move on from it and how it would like push them for greater success. So weirdly, that absolute bombing was the one moment where I was like, I really want to get good at this. I really want to just try as hard as I can to get good at this. And I would say, that was the moment which um, let me continue and i still haven't got good at this so we'll keep going Mark.
0: <laughs> practice makes perfect i, I exactly. do think I've, I've always said the show the showcase is always an interesting one for people that do courses because i i i'm a firm believer that okay the showcase has a, a sympathetic audience and you've brought along people that want to be part of it but you haven't bought 90 percent of that audience either so you you've bought a small section so if you can make a lot of the others laugh then you're doing something right i think so i i, I do think the showcase is uh it is the one that gives everybody the big kick and everybody loves it but i think on reflection you have to appreciate that it's not as easy as some people would say
1: Oh no, there were definitely a couple of people who still bottomed. <laughs> yeah. In fact, there was there was one guy, he he did a, a set in in our course and he, he killed and it was brilliant. And the teacher, uh, Louise Stevenson, she put him on last thinking he's gonna he's gonna deliver, he's he's done yep. really well in the course. He did all new material.
0: Oh no. <laughs>
1: and it sunk. And I was like, You should have done what you did kind of three weeks ago.
0: Yeah. That's 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 always a bit of a danger. That was I, I I've I've had a, a sort of replica of your my first ever gig outside of the showcase was probably my worst ever, and it was all complete new material. And I look back and go, "What? Why? Why did you do that?" It was, it, I don't know. You can't create stuff without practicing it properly and expect mm. it to fly. And I think it's once you get into this industry and you start looking at the technical side of things as nerdy as it is i think there is a very big technical side to comedy and stand-up in how you can deliver i think um somebody said to me once you can uh you can tell a good joke badly but you can tell a bad joke well and that you'll get the better laugh on the bad joke just because you've delivered it better yeah i've told i've told bad jokes badly and good jokes <laughs> badly as well so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, so the Cavendish Arms first time round was the worst moment on stage for you. Then, yeah, hundred percent.
1: That was uh,
0: a real a real stinker. So, did you did you take the video, look it back, and examine yeah. it? Or...
1: If you uh, head to my YouTube channel at <laughs> Richard underscore Parr, <laughs> I think it's. Um season twenty nineteen, episode one, something like that. It was yeah. a, it was a real yeah, it wasn't good. And I brought a couple of friends along and I brought one friend who uh, doesn't mince his words. So <laughs> afterwards where you go, Well what did you think? You're hoping to go, Oh, I like this joke, or that wasn't bad or you're so brave. He was like yeah, you shouldn't have done that material. You should have seen what the room was like. You should have done some other jokes. I said, other jokes? I didn't have any other jokes. I only had yeah. these five minutes.
0: No, it's, uh, it's that line, isn't it? It's the line of, oh, you're so brave for getting up there. I couldn't do it. Just say you didn't like it. Please, <laughs> no, just sometimes
1: say. Sometimes I want
0: that. Sometimes I want that. <laughs> they're so brave. I do think, it's no. When it's, they um... say
1: nothing is the worst.
0: Yeah, yeah. I do think though, sometimes it's, uh, I've had it before where you do a gig and you've got the chance to buy that video and you think, nah, it's not worth it. But I think you should always get that video. If you have the opportunity and just use it as a learning experience and look back on it and try and understand what went wrong, whether it was just a room or whether um, you structured things in a poor way or something, but every Looking back at the failures makes the the successes feel so much better, and we yeah. all need confidence these days.
1: Like like or love Gary Neville, he's got quite a good phrase that he uses, which is failure is just a bruise. Yeah, and that's quite a good mantra to kind of have. Um, put it this way, from comedy, I've got a hell of a body of bruises, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but they heal. They heal. <laughs> they do. They do.
1: <laughs> the mental scars, I might not. <laughs>
0: So, so contrasting the worst moment, what was the best? The same place one year later. Okay. So
1: when I signed up for the Cameron the Charms, I didn't realize it was their annual January competition. And so the following year I went to sign up. And interestingly, I had been using Masterclass uh, and following Steve Martin's Masterclass, which okay. was fantastic. Uh, also, I've mentioned that on one of the YouTube channels, so check that out. Um, but he talked about trying to kind of almost create a character of yourself. Yeah. And at the time, I also watched this video of Will Ferrell doing an awards uh, acceptance speech, and it was hilarious. So what I thought I would do is because you go to all these nights, and all of these nights, for some reason, and I don't get it, each night to their own, there's always an award at the end of the night. Yeah mainly because I never win them. I don't really like them. But, and they're always about the size of like a, a shot glass, yep. which is like hilarious. And I, I never win them. So I thought what I would do is I would create this almost character of myself because sometimes I can be overconfident. So I would turn up to gigs wearing a suit yep. and giving my acceptance speech before they've even awarded me the victory.
0: Gotcha, very clever. And
1: so it would be something like along the lines of um, pulling out a medal from my um, jacket and getting someone in the crowd to put it over me because I'm a winner. Yep. It would be handing out autographs because I won't have time later. <laughs> it would be silly little things like that. And uh, it was quite a, a nice little act. And the day I did it in the first round, I absolutely smashed it. Yeah. And you know you smashed it When in the interval, people are going up to you going, oh, that was really funny. That was really good. And I got through kind of first name to go through to the next round. I didn't get through the round after that. But that just felt like a full circle moment of redemption of the very venue, which had been the worst night of my life in comedy, which had actually made me want to go and do it. It was then my best
0: night one year later. Yes. Yeah. No it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice little thing, isn't it, when it works? And an idea like that that is, is quite you don't see it every day on an open mic circuit.
1: Some of the comedians didn't like it. I remember no. I did it once and it went It went a bit, mm, and one of the comedians afterwards was kind of like, "Oh well, that was interesting, because I, I guess some comedians who don't know me or didn't quite get it actually yeah. thought it was me going. I'm the best in the room. <laughs> I'm yeah. better than everyone. It's like, oh, no, not really the case, is it? I,
0: I I like the um because so much of the comedy, and this is not being detrimental to people. A lot of the comedy out there is is the same. There's 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 sometimes there's if you do like a competition or something, you it's hard to stand out. You, you you're not so much easily forgotten, but there's going to be another. White middle aged man trying to make somebody else laugh, talking about how he loves his wife and hates his kids. So, you need that element to stand out. And the one that's caught me recently is uh from one of your recent videos. This is proves I am a subscriber. Is the Keys one. I won't ruin it if people haven't seen it, but I think that is pure genius.
1: Oh, I'm glad you like that. Because it I... looks
0: so awkward at the start. <laughs> <laughs> And then you get hit with it and you're like, oh, yes, of course.
1: I think I named it the most ridiculous joke about keys ever or something. Very <laughs> click <click-baity> kind of <laughs> name for YouTube. But I love that joke. And I, I'd had the idea for a while and I think I'd mentioned it to my wife and she was like, no, it's not going to work. And I was like, I don't think it's going to work. And then I went to Rising Star in Holborn. And yeah. it was a day of train strikes, and so where that night can normally be pretty packed, pretty busy, it was dead, and yeah. people didn't have bringers, and people just showing up loud. And I went, you know what? There's only about nine, ten of us in here. Let's let's give this a shot. And so yeah. I went to do it, and it honestly shocked me that people laughed. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, oh, maybe I've got something here. And I I tried it a few times. And I really enjoyed it. The, what I found, though, is it, it would split the room. Yeah. You either loved it or you didn't like it at all. And yeah. the problem is it can only really work at the start of a set. Yes. Because, because it involves me being silent because I'm changing these keys in my hand and then I say the punchline. And the problem is, is that it takes up a minute of the five minutes and then once I say the punchline, at that point they've decided whether they like me or hate me. Mm-hmm. So the next four minutes, like I could say anything, but those people have made up their mind. And so if yep. they don't like me, it, the rest of the four minutes is almost pointless. Um, yeah. May, maybe not for better comedians who can probably, <laughs> pull <that> up, but <laughs> certainly for me, it felt pointless. Uh, but then when it would go well, it be fantastic. It, yeah. it reminded me a lot of, um, I forget the name of it, but James Acaster did like a four-part special on Netflix and he would include certain uh, set pieces like that. And I think it's one of those things where down the line, if people might know who I am for whatever reason, then they might appreciate it a little bit more. But for people who are like, who is this guy? Yeah. Uh, it, it, I can see why they <laughs> might not
0: like it or find me a little bit weird. It's it's a, it's it's certainly a... Um... Because it's so different. I mean, I've, I've seen, I, I saw one, one act that stood out for me uh, This is a couple of months ago. Um, I, I honestly can't remember the guy's name, but he came on stage as a snake. So what he did was he got on the floor and he slithered from his seat <laughs> to the stage. But what he did really well was, it was he then got an audience member involved. Because he's a snake, he can't stand up. So he managed to get his audience member to prop him up. For the whole five minutes
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> whilst he did a routine and it was so daft and so silly but it was so well executed and it just had that bit of uh, something about it that just made you go yeah yeah that's that's good that's that's, well, that's really good in
1: that's weirdly why I, I really liked vigo ven's first audition on brennan's got talent because while it's kind of mental and a bit silly and not classic standup, I just thought he's just really leaning into this. And yes. it was, for me, it was really funny.:
0: Have you ever seen his um his go at uh, the comedy store?
1: yes, I, I I ended up going on some big Vigoven uh, rabbit hole, and I thought yeah. that was brilliant. It also turned out I think I put in a, a future video or one I recently released. Turns out I did a gig with him last year and didn't even <laughs> realize. So before he was famous, he did a, a Monday night with me, nice and spiky, and I, I don't even remember him. I just wow. saw this picture. I was like, oh, there's the winner of Britain's Got Talent.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I, I remember on a, I was on a rabbit. I, I tend not to watch Britain's Got Talent and stuff like that. That's, that's the family stuff. But there was a um, I found – I somehow got onto this guy, and it was titled something like Guy Wins a Gong Show Without Saying a Word. And I just thought, oh, that's got, you know, seven minutes of my life that I'll never get back, but let's see what happens. And I thought it was brilliant. And I i, I said to my daughter, I said, You've got to see this. This is absolutely hilarious. And she looked at me and went, Yeah, that's Vigo Ven. He's in the final Britain's Got Talent. I was like, <laughs> Oh. I'm a little bit out of the loop, am I? <laughs> you know. But yeah, I tell you what, it's actually interesting. You mentioned we had a little touch on like competitions and stuff. Have you done gong shows?
1: No, the only one I did was by accident, which was big nose comedy. In, everyone does that by um, accident. <laughs> in, in central <laughs> London. Well, I, 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 I like David. Uh, I like his Night of the Boogaloo. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not a massive fan of how the room is laid out in, in the gig in Sobranos in Soho. But when I turned up or signed up for it, I didn't realize it was a gong show. And I, actually, I think it's in my latest YouTube video. I think I last about three and a half minutes. Okay. I then <laughs> there's, a, there's a video coming up as well, because I go back there. And before the night, David's like, if anyone really doesn't want to do the gong show, please, uh, please let me know. Like, you don't have to do it. And so I yeah. said to him, like, look, I've got a couple of friends who haven't seen me before. I'd love to just do my five minutes. And he said, all right, no problem. So he got me to do first in the second half. Mm -hmm. And in the first half, he was doing the gong show. So I come out, start the second half. He goes like, oh, this guy's going to do five minutes. They're trying to gong me off within a minute. (laughs) (laughs) And we're like, you can't gong me off. And they're like, we want to gong him off. (laughs) It was worse than being in the gong show.
0: Oh, dear. I oh, know, tell a lie. I have seen that video actually. I remember because the the layout's changed at Sobranos. It's no longer, um, I think that was down, possibly downstairs where you were. It, upstairs, upstairs. Now it's upstairs, upstairs, up in the attic. Oh, so okay. it's a, like a, it's almost like a little, if you had a, like a wedding reception for like 30 or 40 people, like little round tables all over the place. It's actually quite nice up there now. Mm. It's really good. It's well worth going back to. Right. Yeah.
1: Like I said, I like
0: David, and I think he does a,
1: a, a good night in the boogaloo. I really
0: like that one. Yeah, definitely. So now that you're you have your open your own night, how how did you come to have your own night, and how did you how did you get the venue? how How does all that work?
1: So it was kind of a New Year's resolution kind of goal for 2023 and I, I wanted to run my own night i wanted to see what it'd be like to be an mc i wanted not much to worry about having a bringer um and, and kind of <laughs> run my own night i'm going
0: to create my own night just so i don't have to bring someone with me <laughs>
1: pretty much yeah uh and, and and give myself more time on stage wherever i, I wanted it or needed it and So my wife and I kind of sat down over the Christmas period and we we kind of worked out how we'd like the night to run, where we'd like it ideally to be. And then we were gonna go like door to door asking pubs and it was one I'm I'm an extrovert and an introvert and weirdly we had this discussion and I was in that one of those real introverted days where I'm like, I don't wanna like talk to anyone. Let's not (laughs) do this. She's like, Come on, we need and I was like, No, I'm not gonna do it today, I don't feel up for it. So about 10 days later, I'm at a work-leaving do and a couple of colleagues, and we end up going to the artillery arms. And I'd worked around the corner from that pub for about two years, but I'd never been in because it, it looked really tiny. Hmm. And so we went in there, and it turns out we had the room upstairs. The night was going really well, and I, I went, this would be a really good size room for a open mic stand-up comedy night on a monday hmm so the next day i, I dropped them an email and said hey look i'm, I'm wondering if wondering about running a stand-up comedy night would you be interested they said well actually that's something i've been thinking of why don't you come and have a chat so yeah. we had a chat and the chat was literally when do you want to start oh, okay <laughs> and so i said uh End of January, and he went, okay. What the the thirty first? I think, think of something like that. I went, oh, okay. That was in <laughs> that was in two weeks. <laughs> so, because of the stuff I, I've done in my job and all kinds of social media stuff, I, I very quickly put up an Instagram page, put up a Facebook page, set yep. everything up, made a little logo, made a little poster. And within twenty four hours, I, I posted something on probably the Comedy Collective or the London Comedy Collective on Facebook, the Facebook group there. Yeah. And within twenty four hours, I had enough acts for the first three weeks. It just yep. went boom, 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 boom. And I I booked a couple for like more than one night and everything like that. And we went and and set up the night, and I was gobsmacked at how well it went. I was. I was expecting it to be something we'd be working on and improving, but from day one, it's been actually a a really good smash, and I think there's various reasons for that. Um, but yeah, I was i was really pleased with how it went.
0: I think I think one of the successes is is simply is down to that room. The room's really nice. Thanks, Mark. It's... Cheers. <laughs> Appreciate that. I'm starting from three <laughs> to one. <laughs> in that it's it's. It's small enough but big enough to have enough people in there you know if you find you find some venues i think in in london i won't I won't name too many of them but when when you've only got ten or twelve people in a room that you know could hold a hundred you know it, it it doesn't work it can be it can be too too empty, and the atmosphere kind of drops but the way the um the artillery arms is is set out. It works really well, and I think it it feels it feels kind of homely, and every I'm sure I don't know how many times you've heard the word graveyard, because it's just there next to it, and it, mm. I don't know why it just makes it a bit more. It gives it gives it some personality in a weird kind of way.
1: Oh, you know I'm what ne- I mean? I've never heard that. That's interesting to hear.
0: <laughs> in that it's just there's that you don't see it until you get on until you stand up on in front of the people and you look to your right and go, there's there's a graveyard of just there. And I don't know the the, with the pub being quite small downstairs, everything feels enclosed and quite nice. And, you know, it's, it's good. And the way you run the nights, I think is, is very good in terms of you're not overloading it with acts. It doesn't, it's not one of those where you, you kind of like halfway through the second half, looking at your watch going, what train can I get? And stuff like that. Well, but Any-
1: I, I always say that the I've been told that the best thing about my night is that it finishes early. <laughs> so <laughs> uh and that's that's something I, I commit to. Um I've done too many nights where, you know, ninety percent of the people who are doing the open mic circuit are people who do it on the side of a full time job. They're working Monday to Friday nine to five on average. Yep. And they can be at any part of London and they could be traveling at a minimum 45 minutes to any gig. So the last thing you want is that you going to be out until half 11 to so then do 45 minutes home. And then by the yeah. time you get to sleep, it's one o'clock and then you're up at six because you've got to go to work and then you go from the work to the gig and you, you try and do two, at least two gigs. I know most, most people will be in three, four, some people doing five. It's just exhausting. And yeah. so, the one thing I said when I when I was going to start this night is we are done by 9.30. So I, I will often overbook my gigs with more comedians because I've learned that comedians are unreliable and they <laughs> won't show up. Yeah. Um, but on the days where everyone decides to show up and I've got a packed schedule, that's when you'll see there's very little kind of like chat from me. I might do a bit of a five minutes to start the second half. I might do a little bit of just crowd work at the beginning but i'll kind of rush through because i'm like 9 30 we are out i think yep. the latest yep. we've ever finished
0: was 9 <laughs> good timing good timing it's but so how how's it grown then so you, you it didn't take you long to fill up with acts, but now when you put out the emails and the newsletters and stuff how how inundated how many people are going for one spot in effect
1: Oh, I can have so I put my sign up sheet on my email list, which comes out on a Thursday, and I was doing it two months in advance. I'm now trying to do it one month in advance. Uh just to be a bit more fairer to acts and also to try and get a few more newer acts in. Mm-hmm. And you know, candidly to help grow my email list as well. But I will put the email out at about 10 o'clock, and by about 1 o'clock, I can have anything up to about 60 people wanting to have a spot. Yeah. And then 24 hours later, I'll then put it on Facebook groups, such as the Comedy Collective I mentioned, such as the London, uh, London Comedy Map, I think it's called, or the Comedy Map, uh, and then also my own socials, be it. Uh, Too Far Comedy Facebook page, Too Far Comedy Instagram page. They're the main drivers. We, we have a okay. X or Twitter, but I think that's got about fourteen followers on it. Um, <laughs> but I put them on there, and then yeah, it, we're, we're we're talking about a hundred before I have to kind of go. That's it. We're done. And so within yeah. within forty eight hours, I'm fully booked for at least two months. Wow. Um, and you know, I I try to make sure that we've got a a wide range of of acts from experience to gender to ethnicity to try and kind of make it fair and then and then also i will give extra um spots to people who supported the night from the beginning people who Mm -hmm. show up on time with their bringer deliver you know appreciate the hard work that kind of goes into it um and you know i've had there's a handful of people who you will see at least once a month or
0: once every two months because
1: they're, they're becoming part of the Too Far Comedy community.
0: Yeah. So what's what's the biggest problem with running your own night? Uh,
1: On-the-day <laughs> cancellations.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: uh, I need to check the rules on GDPR. but I would love to make a book
2: and highlight
1: yes. all the excuses
2: <laughs> of why people
1: can't um, perform at a gig. Uh I'm not gonna tell the story of uh, your first time there mark, where um someone had a issue with gas um so he couldn't perform uh, right. but yeah there there is always cancellations on the day I, honestly I expect three on the day yeah a month. and it's 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 a pain and there's like I get it because life happens and it is yep. just a free night and you know thing like if you if you're ill you're ill but also if you're ill you know at nine a.m. and you wait until four p.m. to tell me I'm like oh, yeah that's no use to me um it, that's that's the that's the major problem with with running a night and you know I will book around about fourteen on average and I, yep. I've had the odd night. Uh, where I can only have seven people showing up, right? Okay, that's, that that's a bit rubbish.
0: Yeah, I guess that's when you you have to turn to the other acts and go. You've all got sevens.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, if I've never seen them before, maybe not. But um, <laughs> that 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 might be where there's there's someone in the crowd who is a bringer who I might let perform. Um, yeah, I decide that on the day. Uh, what what I need to get better at and that's one of the things I've really got to work on this year is have a bigger amount of material myself that I should take more advantage when there aren't as many acts that's where I should be doing a little bit more between acts maybe do a little bit more crowd work Uh, maybe try a little bit more new material Um, because sometimes I'm like oh, there's only seven acts and I don't have much new stuff or I don't want to try it. Yeah. I'm not like, in the mode to... and then we're done by like nine o'clock. And honestly, I, I, while I say I'm proud that we finish at 9.30, when we finish at nine, I kind of feel like I've shortchanged people.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can understand that. I can understand that. So so you want more people to turn up when they say they're going to turn up pretty much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the moral of the story.
0: Yeah, that's that's, that's fair enough, I think. So I guess the – I always try and ask this question, but I, I never know if it's actually a good question or not. I might end up dumping this, actually. it's What's somebody that's actually in this that's been doing it for, you know, they're under five gigs in, they've just started, they've just started finding their feet, what tip, single tip, do you think you could give somebody that would help them get further in the industry, whether it's to be booked more, liked more, or found more or something?
1: Five gigs in is so new. Yeah. I don't think there's anything you can really say other than just book more gigs, just get more stage time because the, the big the biggest thing for me right now is I feel I need to work harder on my material. I need new material. I need to be recycling more newer stuff and try more new stuff and be yeah. braver. That's what kind of where I'm at. But I think, with five gigs, you just need to be going up. You just need to try as many new places and just because that's where you'll learn. That's where you'll quickly learn that, all right, my material isn't strong enough. I have to kind of edit it, or this is going well, but it doesn't work all the time at this place, or these three jokes are absolute killers, I have to keep them but you know what, these two don't do very well I need to now lose them so just try and book in as many gigs as possible really, that that would be my main bit of advice to someone with five gigs Um, but also just decide if you really want to do it because you know, you're going to have a lot of nights kind of away from friends or family if you've got a partner or whatever that you really want to be in a basement or on a first floor of a pub for kind of two to three hours watching a whole load of people who some will be funny and some won't be and you've got to decide do you really want to do that
0: yeah no that's that's fair enough so you've touched on this earlier that you uh you've got a bit of a background in tv and Hmm. stuff like that there was one thing that did again this proves i am a a subscriber um, i love it mark i love it (laughs) that i saw I I, I can't remember how long ago it was. I don't think it was too long ago that really caught my eye. That that was completely unusual. And I don't think I will say this to anybody else. How on earth did you become a wrestling ringmaster, introducer, compare, whatever you want to call it? It was in the Middle East as well, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. So I lived in Qatar for six years working for Al Jazeera English uh, as a producer, reporter and, and presenter for a while. I've always loved professional wrestling. So when I was 22, I did my master's with Eurosport in Paris and they needed a (laughs) producer for this wrestling show. So I put my hand up and it was basically re-editing the show called TNA Wrestling. But the way Eurosport works is it's reversion is in 19 different languages. Right. And so they redubbed the English. So I was like, well, I can also do this. So they got me to do it, this American guy. And so I did that for about 18 months. That was amazing. I was basically living in London. I'd get the train to Paris on the Thursday night, do production on the show Friday, commentate in the evening. Um, <laughs> so I'd get two lots of pay production and then commentary. They had the best. Canteen I've ever been to because it's in Paris. So I was like, I mean, they they were doing Heinekens for fifty cents. So I'd buy like four Heinekens. I wouldn't drink them before the commentary. That yep. would make the show much more entertaining. So I'd keep them. <laughs> show would finish, down a couple of Heinekens, jump in a taxi, hang out with these American girls I've met during my internship, party till four five in the morning, then get the Eurostar home at noon. Living the life. So wow. I got to do that, and then I got a job at Sky, and they Sky were the the broadcasters for WWE at the time, and they'd often get a wrestler kind of come in. So I was like, "Oh, can I meet the wrestler?" And they were like, "Well, do you want to interview the wrestler?" So I became the person who would interview all the wrestlers. Right. Uh, they sent me to WrestleMania twenty four in Orlando, where I got to meet like the Big Show and Floyd Mayweather and all these kind of like famous people, Ric Flair, and then. <laughs> um kind of that was that and then during my time at al jazeera in 2013 uh, this qatari guy called ali marafi he was launching his own wrestling promotion and so uh, i found out who he was and dropped him a message and he said come meet me come meet me at the office his office was he was a bank manager so okay. i went to meet him in his bank i felt like it was some episode of like breaking bad or something like <laughs> During the day. He's a bank manager, but at night he's a wrestling promoter. So he he ends up getting all these pretty famous wrestlers. So you had like Bobby Lashley was there, Carlito was there. But it was all in this circus tent in a car park of a mall. Massive circus tent. Right. And in the back, they still had all the animals. So there was like lions back there, it was snakes back there, we're all getting changed. Um, it was like amazing and then i was doing the ring announcing and it just felt natural and me introducing people and doing the ladies and gentlemen and, and all yeah. that and throwing t-shirts into the crowds. i absolutely loved it and uh, ali really enjoyed it so he would do these big shows about every two years. So I, I was in Qatar until about 2016. So I did about two or three shows. We did this one in the sook where there was a sandstorm and the whole set was falling down and Ray Mysterio was there. And like really, big, they got really big names out there. Uh, Cody Rhodes came and did the show. And then When I left, uh, he still loved my work and he would pay for my flights. He would pay for my hotel. He'd give me a little pocket money. And wow. I'd be working with, Sting and all kinds of people Eric Bischoff, Kevin Nash so I went out there kind of a few times and the last time I, I did uh, the ring announcing was 2020 just before the pandemic and there was about 6-7000 people and it was incredible I love it I, uh, I recently did a um, bit of ring announcing again in, in London uh, back in August and yeah. you know, I'd love to get back into it again
0: so Strange question, I guess, but how does that? How does it compare to being a ring announcer in front of six or seven thousand people? To performing, to, oh, stand-up comedy in front of thirty. Stand-up comedy
1: is a million times more difficult, um, yeah. because because of my TV background, because of the ring announcing background, talking to people to me is a pretty easy thing to do. I don't really get too nervous. I think everyone gets a bit of butterflies before they stand up to say a speech or whatever. That's natural because if you don't feel that, it means it's not important to you. So you get that, but I don't have like crippling anxiety or I don't get anxious about kind of public speaking in general. Stand up comedy though, you know that kind of every other sentence or every sentence needs to have a punchline. It needs to have a laugh. It needs to have a joke. Yeah. And so when you go up and you say something which you think is funny and then it just is tumbleweeds That's the worst
2: <laughs> moment
1: in the world. Yes. And I, I remember trying gigs uh at the Duchess Bell Zam comedy back in Battersea in 2019. And I would write this stuff and be like this is hilarious and then I would do it and you just see my face just kind of go because it wouldn't land and that half a second second would feel like two minutes. And so that to me is so much more difficult than being a ring announcer in front of 6,000, 7,000, 10,000 people because effectively you're conveying information. But interestingly, I I would say I I do feel that the ring announcing has improved my emceeing
2: Mm -hmm. in
1: the fact that even if I don't make you laugh as an emcee, I will give the comedian a decent sell. I will make you feel I will make the comedian feel important and I'll make the audience feel that they're they're going to have a good time and that this person is is worth their 5 minutes yeah uh, watching and listening to. Um so I, I do think that has helped me improve as an MC by having that background.
0: Okay, that's interesting. It is interesting because like you say I guess you you have a I guess you have a script as such to follow, but it's more about the there's so many people here. That's that's the thing I think I've, it's in my head is that I guess when I've done when I've done gigs in front of twenty people, but I've also done a gig in front of uh probably somewhere between eighty and a hundred people. The eighty to a hundred feels easier than the the smaller number. I think because the the way laughter works is that you only need a few people to laugh in that bigger room to then get the ripple effect going on for other people to start but I, feeling I think, like they, they want
1: to laugh as well i think these small rooms though are the best breeding ground it's the best training ground because yes. if you can get 20 people in a room laughing then if you have 100 people and you have 100 people laughing it's so much easier but yeah. just by having a good routine and jokes that you can get you know that 20 people all in stitches then you, you can do kind of
0: anywhere yeah definitely so in front of that kind of uh, sheer number of people if let's let's imagine a scenario where you are you've just become super famous you've just been booked to perform a live at the apollo you're about to walk out in front of five thousand people what is your walk on music
1: uh, well, it, surely it'd be silence. for when I then do the key <laughs> joke, <laughs> uh, I haven't thought about my walk-on music for comedy. It it would probably need to be something kind of like um, high high energy. Um, there was a an Oasis song. So when I was eighteen, the the school I went to the uh, the sixth form they did this thing called the Stay Awake. And it was basically kids would stay within the community college overnight and there'd be all kinds of things going on. And they did like this talent show. Okay. So when I was 17, I was like, oh, 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 I'll give this a go. <laughs> and so my plan had been that I was going to come out as this wrestling character, yeah. Too Far Richard Parr, which <laughs> becomes the name of the, yeah. the night, Too Far Comedy. Then I was going to, tell a few jokes and then I was gonna end on a song uh the song <laughs> I can't even tell you this, this needs to be a bit I think <laughs> the song was going to be um if I could turn back the hands of time by R Kelly um <laughs> wow yeah I know, I know some things don't age <laughs> um and so I come out and do this wrestling character. And the audience go bananas and they love it. And then I have a friend come up and I pretend, and he, he he's like giving me trash talk. And so I pretend to pin him and the crowd goes crazy. I'm like, I'm not doing the jokes and I'm certainly not going to sing R Kelly. Yeah. So I, I give it a miss. Everyone loved it. The school loved it. The teachers loved it. So I get told, can I do a show the next year? <laughs> so I get this friend, his, his name was Chris, uh, Chris Sheriff. So he became like, the Russian Christoph Sherifkovsky. And we we kind of formulated this match. And, uh, and again, it went over really, really well. And at this point, I've forgotten what your question was, Mark, because <laughs> there's a point to all of this.
0: Walk on music.
1: Walk on music. So my walk on music for that event was an Oasis track. Uh, it was, oh i'm gonna i can't even check my phone because i'm talking to you on my phone but it was the <laughs> beginning of one of their albums uh, uh do you know what i mean that yes. was it so i think i came out to that so possibly something upbeat by oasis however when i did this um ring announcing back in august for Hura wrestling at, at tufnell park dome little plug for them there uh, paul benson yep. will be happy uh, when I did that I came out for the second half and, and the guy Mike who was running the sound he was like do you want some walk-on music I was like mm, I don't really don't really have anything up my sleeve he said well what's your favourite song I was like well I do quite like Hero by Enrique Iglesias <laughs> <laughs> so I walk out to Hero by Enrique Iglesias I thought hey, everyone's going to boo me was going to like me the wrestling fans start singing along to me. You can be in my hero, baby. So uh, possibly that.
0: It's quite an interesting one. That's, that's quite a fun one, I think. I could just imagine you kind of walking on slowly. step. Your you walk on actually would probably take five minutes because you just have to soak every step up as you go into it. <laughs> and then yeah. just lean into the crowd. Come on, come on, come <laughs> on. You know this eventually. No, that's great. I like that. I think that's that's quite fun. So, um I guess we are all masters of jokes, but the in- one question I that probably requires a lot of thought is what do you think is your best joke? It might mean not, might not be the best joke now, but it's always been your best or favorite joke. How did it arrive and how has it changed over time? Have you changed the wording, the structure, Anything about it?
1: I think my best joke, or, or the one which I always know will get a laugh, is my Keanu Reeves Matrix joke. I always kind of just have that up my sleeve. And in some ways, I now know that nine times out of ten, that'll get my biggest laugh or a big laugh. Yeah. And I've also learned that if I do it and it barely gets anything, then A, I'm doomed. <laughs> Um but B, they they just don't like me. So I can almost say anything. They they don't like either I've said something to begin with or the way I've acted or for whatever reason they're just not into me if they yep. don't like that joke. Um so it it's partly off a, a true story. So when when the pandemic hit, I, I grew a beard like I have now, my hair went really long, it's it's getting there back now. Um and People would come up to me and say, "You look like Dave Grohl." So I had a bit about Dave Grohl for a long time, but also Keanu Reeves. And it 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 was based on a true story. I was down at Battersea one Christmas with my wife and a few friends, and this guy said to me, "You look like that movie star. You look like Keanu Reeves." And immediately, my wife did say, "Don't tell him that. It will go to his head." So yeah. I started to kind of like ham that up a little bit in my delivery, and then the punchline became me leaning back to what keanu reeves as neo does in the matrix when he's yep. shot at those bullets and he's kind of um missing them and i've i've more tweaked what i say off the back of it rather than necessarily that main bit of the joke so for a while uh, i would say something along the lines of um what was it i had a bit where i would say uh he could tell I've had some excellent adventures in relation to Bill and Ted, yeah. but it, that that would get a laugh if you knew your kind of like.
0: Yeah, it's a comment, subtle if nod. If you
1: knew your movies; it, it's a subtle nod, so yeah. it's not a terrible joke. But like, some people give it a laugh, or it would just be met by nothing. And I don't really know what, like, how to deal with that yet. Or I'm learning how to deal with that. Whether that's worth keeping in or not keeping. So I stopped that. And then there was a, a woman who literally in one of the gigs, it was, it was down at um, Cavendish Arms, Stockwell, Comedy Virgins, where um, this, this woman literally went, The Matrix. <laughs> and everyone started laughing. Yeah. And that kind of surprised me because I assumed everyone knew what that was. Yeah. And... Now by then me saying I did that gig recently um, and there was a woman in the second row saying The Matrix, not only do people laugh at that girl sounds a bit silly, sounds a bit stupid, yeah. but if they didn't get it the first time around, they now get it. So they laugh at, oh, it was The Matrix. Yeah. So I think that's quite a good thing to kind of keep in. And then I did a gig and my friend Will said, Oh, I'm glad she said that because I thought you were surfing in Point Break.
2: Yep. So
1: I've added that as well. So it kind of like <laughs> cascades there through. The the Point Break line isn't like the strongest way to end it, but I think it's another good little tag that I use for it. Yep. But then I started reading Adam Bloom's excellent book about comedy. I forget the, the title of it, but for me it's one of the best books on –
0: Comedy um, yeah, around. Finding your comic genius. I've got it on the shelf. I've started it as well. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, he
1: speaks about how you shouldn't necessarily reference previous gigs. He says you should be doing stand up performances where it feels like for the audience, this is the first time you've ever told this story. Yeah. And so I tweaked it a little bit where I pretended that there was someone on the bench watching us. Mm-hmm. as I do The Matrix, and the lady on the bench goes, oh, The Matrix, and it didn't get as big a laugh. So I went back to the, oh, I've told this story before, and I tried to tell it as if it happened recently, Yeah. and I, I can't quite do it to the structure that <laughs> Adam Bloom <laughs> would enjoy and appreciate yep. and the style that he feels that stand-up comedy should be, uh, but at the moment I'm going back to the old way just because it, it gets a bit bit of a better laugh. I hope yep. one day I can tweak it into a way that it, it that everybody's happy, that I'm happy that everyone gets a laugh and Adam Bloom can say you haven't, uh, what do you call it, like uh, pops a bubble or or something yeah, like it's, that. Yeah, it's just popping the balloon, raised. isn't it? It's yeah. that,
0: that the, the, the end of the joke should be the pop and you shouldn't be uh, allowing air to escape before the pop i think that's the easiest way that um to summarize what he's put but i think i think that book is absolutely amazing and it's a it's a it's a bizarre book in that sometimes if i'm doing like a gig uh where i don't need a bringer but a friend of mine goes oh i'll come and see that gig you're doing tonight i'll be like no no it's fine i don't need a bringer because then i can read that book on the train yeah see see... in my world of i'm going to comedy and i'm reading about comedy and i can focus on it without the home around me distracting me
1: well that's that's what i find interesting about going to gigs Uh, certainly if i do go by myself is (laughs) there's i think there's an importance of being part of the community and knowing other people and speaking to other people in gigs that you kind of go to regularly and you kind of but also sometimes you are just in your head because you're thinking about what you're going to say. You might be trying a new bit. You're, you're trying to work out your intonation, or just trying to remember the joke. Yep. And it's trying to balance that kind of bit. Of, I want to prepare so I can give the best that I can, but I also don't want to appear a dick. I don't know if I yep. can say that word on your podcast. You can say wherever you when, want when, <laughs> when when I enter a room. And, and, it, it i think i think that's a a hard thing to kind of manage in all honesty
0: yeah i th- i think the um the the industry is very it, there is a community around it especially at this this level i think where there's you you do see a lot of the same people regularly and i think there's this misconception i have this misconception in my head anyway that sometimes i look into the audience and i go oh, i've seen you 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 and you before and in my brain, it's like, well, if I say my usual some of the stuff that i usually say that I know works, are they going to laugh? But then you forget that those people don't know, don't. We'll not remember your set. They they just won't. There won't. There will be bits in it that they'll remember, but there's most there's a lot of the parts they just won't remember. And then it comes back to them again. And I had it actually one of your gigs where somebody came up to me at the end. And said, I've seen you three times now. And every time you come on stage, I never remember you until you, until I'm halfway through. And then there's a particular joke at the end of my set. And he says, Every time I hear that joke, it makes me remember and like you again. Oh, that's a nice And that's, that say. was really nice. It's almost like that fifty first dates. You meet in that, and, and it's that he's like, oh, Yes, I know him. I've seen him before. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think people have to get that. Well, I have to get that on my head that okay, there's somebody, there's people that've seen me before, but they're not going to remember everything I've said before.
1: Yeah, I I was really annoyed with myself um, just before Christmas. So December the fourth is my wife's birthday. So my my wife comes to a lot of my gigs, which is uh, a lot of my Too Far Comedy nights, which is interesting because it's the one gig I don't need a bringer. But she uh,
0: <laughs> always wants to come along to that night. I created like, this night to not have a bringer, but <laughs> I have a bringer every week.
1: I'm like, can you can you can you come Thursday? Uh, got got a gig where I need to bring? No, I can't do that. But I'll be there Monday. I, like, I don't need you Monday. I need you there Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so it was her birthday on December the fourth, and we had we had too far comedy. And you know the show must go on, so I still booked a night on her birthday. Yeah. But I said to her, look, how about you can choose some of the people who are performing that you've liked, that you've watched over the last year? So when the list came out, people put their, um, the dates that are available, I said, this person is keen to do it on the 4th, is this someone you've liked before? And so she probably, out of 14, she, she got about six or seven that she'd seen or liked before. Yeah. The thing there then ended up being is that on the night, uh, actually my wife (laughs) then was ill and couldn't come anyway. Right. Um, A lot of people pulled out. It was a quiet room, and it ended up being only about seven or eight people, and they were all the ones that she liked. So all the people who'd been, you know, regulars, so to speak, at Too Far Comedy. Yeah. And so we'd all seen each other's acts. And, you know, some people did try some new material and something people did like that. And that night, I normally start my second half by doing about five to seven minutes of material. It's normally the same stuff I've done for a while. And yep. that night I decided not to do it because there were too many people in the room who had seen my stuff. Mm-hmm. And I regret that because there were people in the room who hadn't seen me perform before. There were bringers in the room who had never seen kind of my jokes. And I had noticed throughout the night when I did do the odd line, there were a few smiles, there were a few laughs at what I was saying. And I should have gone, forget that I've done this to people who've seen it before. Do it for the people who haven't. See if they will laugh. But also do it because, you know, the people who may have seen me tell a joke before might have been two months ago. And yeah. I might be telling it. I might be telling that story. I might be saying that joke a little bit better than when they saw it two months ago. Yes, there might be more in my performance around it. So that that was a bit of a one of the biggest lessons I learned was uh, just perform. Yeah, <laughs> don't don't bottle it.
0: No, no, I think it's I think it's so true. Don't don't be self conscious about doing the same stuff over and over again. There's there's still some people out there that I see a lot of the same stuff, but I still enjoy it every single time. I know there's a particular act I know. I know what his first joke is. I know it every single time. But I still laugh every single time. And it's one of those where you just kind of think, well, don't, like you say, play to the people that haven't seen you. Pretend nobody's seen you and just go for it and see, see what comes out. And like you say, you might find another way of doing it. You might find that there's something that happened during the night that you can reference that you can incorporate into it that makes the whole thing funnier.
1: Yeah. Or I should have done, I should have done the, what I normally do, but maybe allowed myself in between a couple of jokes to try a few things or try yeah. and bring some of the crowd in around a few of the jokes. That's what I should have done.
0: Yeah. I, I do think like uh, when, especially when you, if you get a night, it obviously doesn't happen at too far, but sometimes when you get a night where they're, there's no bringer required and you're in front of an audience that are just comedians and it's it's an okay night, but I now look at those nights where they're my time to experiment because if it goes wrong, it doesn't matter it honestly i'm not I'm not trying to please the other comedians in the room, so by allowing myself to practice crowd work or picking on a different topic I think it works a bit. You give, you give yourself that more opportunity to practice, which you wouldn't ha- normally have. So I think a lot of it is reading the situations in the room and understanding what's going on and stuff like that. But um, one thing I do want to do with every uh, comedian and everybody that actually appears on this podcast is I um, have a comedian's challenge for everybody. No, I think could, you're going to like this. <laughs> so I have this... Uh, Let's see if you can see it. It's called the little book of shit jokes by Sid Finch. And I want you to pick a joke from here and I want you to use it in your set and record it, post it and whatever. Now you can pick any joke you want, but you don't know what you're going to pick. You have to give me a number between five and 95 and that becomes your joke.
1: Hold on. Does Sid know about this? Because I don't need Joe Rogan coming to one of my (laughs) gigs, calling me a joke thief.
0: (laughs) I've tried yeah. to find Sid Finch on Instagram and stuff, and I can't. Yeah, so I, I, don't I, know, I don't know if it's actually a real person <laughs> or if it's just well, a I'm, pseudonym of somebody.
1: I'll, I'll, I'll do it, I'll film it, and then I'll be like, and that was a joke from Sid Finch. <laughs> <That's the laughs> other Check out is, the Open Comedy Mic podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, could chuck, you could chuck it in however you want, so if you want to incorporate into a set, or if you want to adjust the joke slightly so it fits better with your set, go for it. And the other trick is is that whichever page you pick, if somebody else has picked the same one, you pick again. So no two comedians can have the same joke from this book.
1: It's one to what?
0: It's pages five to 95.
1: Uh, let's do the, the date that I was born, 18.
0: 18. Let's go. Okay, you've got two jokes on this page, so you can have joke one or joke two. Uh, let's
1: get number one.
0: Okay. I think you, you, this would fit in, actually, with you quite well. <laughs> Cheers, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> You'll understand. My friend's wedding was so emotional, even the cake was in tears. Yeah, I could, pro- I could
1: probably get that in there somewhere. I the think they can quite keys. easily. <laughs> what out, of, out of, can I know what joke two was just out of interest?
0: Uh, joke two, uh, is what do you get if you cross a dog with a magician? A labrica dabrador. I
1: oh, see that would have worked well as well because my brother's <laughs> a professional magician. Check out com.
0: <laughs> well, we can link that if you want, <laughs> but no, that's the that's the little challenge we're trying to set. Um, Every person appears on the podcast to see if they'll do it, Um, how it goes. It may even become part of the set. Who knows? A proper part. Probably not, but it's just a bit of fun. And I think as comedians, we all like to challenge ourselves in certain ways. And I don't know if you had it on your, when you did your course, you were probably given certain topics to talk about on the spot and stuff like that. So when we did, when I did my comedy course, one of the topics I remember was you had to name something good about something that was bad. Mm. So you had to name for. So one of the topics was you had to name something that was good about the cost of living crisis, stuff like that, and we had to come up with that on the spot. So those, I think, those kind of things that get your brain working are quite useful, and hopefully, that yeah. little book of shit jokes by Sid Finch, whoever Sid Finch is. I've got to find him somehow. Where are you, Sid? Yes. He's not on Instagram. I can tell you that. But with a name like Sid, I'm not sure he would be.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah. I may be prejudging here. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I guess that kind of brings everything to a close. And other than um, telling everybody, I don't know how many everybody is at the moment, but uh, how many, how they can find you.
1: Uh, mark don't do yourself down in the words of the rock it could be millions and millions <laughs> of people listening uh, look i'm i'm at richard underscore par on youtube we've spoken about that a lot so i would love it if more people could um subscribe and just just like every video comment yep. every video um, it's better that people comment that that wasn't very good than not comment at all. Yeah, <laughs> uh, might might hurt my soul a little, little bit, but it'll be good for the algorithm. Yes, um, you can find me on Instagram and, and X at, at Richard underscore Par uh, for Too Far Comedy. It's similar. We're on Instagram at Too Far Comedy. Uh, don't bother on X. Uh, there's only fourteen of us. Uh, but the Facebook page is quite good. Uh, I always put up um, pictures uh, of the night of every comedian. At first, I didn't do every comedian. i just take a few shots and put them up. And then this one week, a female comedian messaged me going, where's my photo? Yeah. (laughs) And so I went, all right, from now on, I'll take a photo of everyone. Um, There's actually going to be a new video feature coming up on on that channel. Uh, It might be live when this podcast goes out or... It's something got coming up. I'm not going to reveal too much, but I'm quite excited to see how that can kind of go. Yeah. Um, but where I always like to just direct everyone to is our newsletter. Um, you can sign up for it at Okay. It's the main place that any uh, comedians can sign up for a spot. We offer five-minute bringer spots. We are we a are bringer night. Some people love them. Some people hate them. Uh, for me, with the size of the room and what we're trying to achieve on a Monday night, it it's where it goes. Whether we go down the road of some other spots being available for seven minutes non bringer, or whether there might be another night down the line where I I select some um, comedians and we and we kind of do a, a a ticketed night, that could be the growth of Too Far Comedy this sure. year. We'll have to see. But for now, we are a five minute bringer night. Um, we we offer spots on a, a sign-up form on our mailing list. Everyone on the mailing list gets priority access for 24 hours. It comes out on a Thursday once a month uh, from 10 a.m. And then that newsletter goes out every Thursday. And it, it's called the Far Too Funny List. And basically, I will give a list of something that I've been watching, listening, or reading to that's related to comedy or yeah. stand-up comedy. So it could be a comedy special. It could be... Uh, a book on comedy exercises like Adam Bloom's. It could be a podcast that I've either found funny or has been featuring a a stand-up comedian. And then it just gives updates about the night, but also where you can see me perform and updates about the YouTube and all of that. What I found interesting, Mark, is people actually really do quite like the newsletter and they actually click through and I can see the metrics of what people like and, and don't like. And I do get a few nice responses because when I first did it, I was like, do people need this? Do people want this? But it it, it gets quite a good open rate. And what I found funny was the first time I did where you can see me perform, Mm -hmm. I was like, is this one step too much? Because at first, the newsletter is supposed to give back to comedians and give them information. And then when I was like, oh, where you can see me perform, I was like, oh, is this too much ego? Is this too much about me? But what I found is a lot of people click the links of yeah. the other gigs that I'm performing. And that's not necessarily because, hey, we've got to go see Richard down at <laughs> wherever. Yeah. It's oh, there's a gig there. I wonder if I could get a spot. I wonder if um they're looking for some comedians. I wonder if I can perform there um in a few weeks. So I- I've kept that in for as much as that these are the other gigs that are in London beyond too far comedy, then yeah. necessarily hey, come see me perform the same five <laughs> minutes you saw me perform last week. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it, it's free to subscribe. So that's the best place for people to get spots of the night, but also to, to, just to help improve people's knowledge about, about comedy. And, and I, I've enjoyed doing it because it also means every week I have to be watching a special. I have to be yep. listening to the podcast. I have to be reading about comedy. So I'm improving my own knowledge about the subject as well.
0: I tell you one really good special I watched the other day on a slight tangent, uh Brennan Reese.
1: Okay.
0: Uh definitely check it out on YouTube. He's is extremely good. And his uh his comedy special is it's quite unique. Okay. I, I don't want to ruin too much of it, but it's definitely worth watching and it's uh it's one of those that might get you at the end.
1: Alright, yeah, please please send me a link. The the more that I can watch uh, I've got a bit of time this week, so I wouldn't mind <laughs> stockpiling a, a whole other of specials so I can the uh, the emails in advance. But uh, no, that, that that'd be great. Thanks.
0: Cool. So, uh, and you can find us uh, Open Mic Comedy Pod on Instagram. All the W's: are open Mic Comedy dot com. Uh, If you find us on whichever platform you're listening to this on, if you can do the follow, subscribe, star reviews, whatever it is. I don't know what it is these days. I'm too old for this. Um, Please jump in and uh, do your bit. And until next time, thank you, Richard. Thank Uh, you very much, Mark.